0: Not exactly. a. Uh, what are those artists called that they make all the Foley. fakes? Foley. The Foley, artist. yeah.
1: <laughs> and I could be if I wanted.
0: Could you? Mm-hmm. What noise would you make? Well, that, like what would that be your would be... Like, signature? Because I know you make everything, but what would be the, the one that everyone's like, oh well, shit? Well, the water drop. Oh, yeah. Although
1: everybody, lots of people can do that.
0: Is yours the best? Yeah, making sure the mic picks good. it up. Yeah. yeah,
1: what else would I do? Oh, the classic, w- I used to tear... Pages of notes away from people in for school like walking and, on and snow, and pretend or? we wanted to, and pretend we were ripping them, so it would be the paper rip. Oh, that's pretty good. And then, of course, yeah. you, you sort of hide it away, and the person screams and grabs the papers and gives you shit, and then surprise, well, it's fine, fine. yeah, <laughs> as long as you didn't accidentally like
0: spit on it or
1: or, or actually rip it because <laughs> it's like that's so natural to, anyway. Yeah. I never did that. I was a good boy.
0: My first question is, how did it start?
1: How did it start? What are we doing here, Anwen? How about we introduce gonna, this? No, little... I want
0: I want you to start with how did Daddy Talk Show start?
1: Oh, Daddy Talk Show, not um, the universe. So <laughs> I missed an opportunity there. Yeah, I
0: thought right, you were gonna I'll make try that and be joke. Out of my game.
1: <laughs> daddy Talk Show. I don't know how it started because I don't. I actually have a terrible memory for for event kinds of things, but. I guess the funny answer would be you and your sister wanting to stay up later yeah. and recognizing that if you got me talking about one of the many topics that I know a little too much about that you would get to stay up for half an hour an hour while I right. would on and on and on and on about it prodded by you
0: I, two. I can remember that a little bit. I remember in our bunk beds is the only time I still remember having daddy talk show and I remember asking you questions but i can't really remember many of them except for one so if you were to describe theoretically to some random people listening what would you say daddy talk show is well
1: daddy talk show is an attempt to go really deep on a topic
0: well Uh relatively deep i guess for the age that we were at at the time.
1: Deeper than you would think for right. uh, for four, five, to eight-year-old children. I tried to find ways of patiently explaining to you through a series of questions and answers what, yeah. you know, why the sky is blue kind of thing. I don't know how normal that is. Probably pretty normal. Yeah. Like, kids ask a lot of questions, but...
0: I don't think adults are always patient enough to answer all of them.
1: I was very patient to yeah. answer questions particularly when we didn't have another agenda. And at bedtime, I didn't really care very much. So, you know, yeah. Because the the
0: one I remember, and I remember this, I was reminiscing about this because City Walk was yesterday. Mm -hmm. I remember the only daddy talk show, I think knowledge that I realized comes from there was my knowledge of colors and the length of their waves. Because I figured out one year when I was walking with you on City Walk, that the reason I had known the answer to all of these questions in school about which colors had the largest wavelengths versus the smallest was because of a random daddy talk show about it, and none of my friends had known any of those fun facts, and I knew them all.
1: So were, were you guys trying to learn that in in your class or it just you were discussing an associated thing and you came out with way too much
0: no we were talking about some like some related things in class and I think the teacher was hoping that we would get to these conclusions but unfortunately I already had the conclusion of and I knew what the scale, basically, of what the largest wavelengths versus the smallest wavelengths were. Yeah,
1: this is part of the problem of your mother and I as parents yeah. writ large on your school career, which this is pushing is that too far. Often, yeah. often yeah. knew years ahead what uh, <laughs> what you were going to, what they were going to try and teach you, anyways.
0: Yeah, but I think that still has carried through to university, partly because of you guys, but also I think I've maintained that curiosity from Daddy talk show. So I always. I don't, I don't stop learning when I finish one question, it causes me to have other questions.
1: Well, this is sort of the, one of the things that I really like, and it ties into what I was talking about on another podcast uh, recently.
0: Your hit podcast. My hit podcast, <laughs> uh,
1: library podcast of stories. It's all the rave in... Now
0: available on... In
1: Denmark, actually, we have a really big audience. Of, really? Oh, I think six...
0: I mean that's pretty good. <laughs> Do you have any other audience anywhere else?
1: I don't. I don't have access to those numbers. It's our, oh, okay. I'm not the team leader. I just right get that information is doled out. You're the worker in bee. Non daddy talk show level of depth.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, I didn't no, know you but, had a viewers <laughs> in Denmark. No, but what? So what I was saying is that. Oh boy, I don't quite remember.
0: That's okay. This is. I guess we should mention for anybody who's not family listening, also an ADHD podcast. (laughs) I know you're not diagnosed with ADHD, but I am.
1: You can can announce that, but I I was really hoping that you would just edit it out, but okay. (laughs) I
0: can edit it out. That's fine, too.
1: (laughs) Leave it in now. I
0: feel like, well, we have to represent neurodivergence, and sometimes that means not perfectly mm. editing out all of our brain (sighs) blips and things like that.
1: Well, it's a fine line between being authentic sometimes and
0: producing good content and
1: wasting people's time yeah yeah I'll, i'll leave that to you
0: okay well i have another question and i don't know since you've already commented on bad memory can you think of a hardest question or series of questions we asked where it's like you didn't know how to explain it or we had trouble grasping it or anything like that
1: well, I'm going to say no for exactly the reason you stated. Yeah, unfortunately. I don't unfortunately. remember most of the questions, but it, it it does remind me of two things. One, how grateful I was for your mother because... Speaking of hard questions, all of the sexy talk was uh, left to her, which took a lot of the pressure off because I didn't have to worry that it was going to come at me. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't afraid, afraid, but it was not the kind of thing that I would have done as easily. I'm much more the art, science, uh, everything else. I'm, I'm the STEM guy. None of the questions were specifically hard because what would happen is... And my favourite thing about having kids was how it would keep me young and engaged with asking questions, as you guys would always be asking questions, and I would take that opportunity and go and do some reading, because if I had a question after talking to you, there's a good chance that eventually you were going to have the same question, and I would need an answer. You had to be on your toes. It was more about being proactive and curious, and then caring enough about, like, I enjoyed the conversations with you guys, it wasn't a it wasn't a duty that I was distracted yeah. to educate you. It was an opportunity to share my delight in what I had learned.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. No, I uh, I don't remember pretty much any of the questions I would ask, but I do have a question for you. So, right, I'm ready. Are Are you ready for all of these? Because they are varying. <laughs> Why well,
1: I didn't realize, I didn't know I was going to be quizzed. I, I,
0: well, but... I don't know if they are really yes or no questions, but they're on a lot of different well, subjects. Let's do it. My most pressing one, which I had on my flight home to Saskatoon, was how do you build dams? like at the bottom of where the water is, how are you building down there? All right I I'm... know that's a really specific question, but it's it popped into my head and I decided not to look it up so I could ask you.
1: INAE, I am not an engineer. <laughs> but I have looked into this from time to time and uh from what I have seen and read, you could divert the flow
0: To another place, the build To another dam. place
1: and you build part of it. Right. And then then I suppose or divert it entirely around an area and then re divert it back into that area when you're complete. Yeah. So you the other thing is they probably have some techniques now for building a lot of parts of it out of the water and, and then just dropping it. Cranes. So how would they have
0: originally been built if that's what we do now?
1: Since I've given you the secret that I didn't know the answers to most of the questions that yeah. you ever asked, <laughs> I, we're going to have to pause while I do some research. <laughs> or, I mean, what would you do if you were?
0: I guess I would. I would try to base it off of nature's best dam builder. Like right. I would try to see if there was some way to maybe build something over top. And then start slowly building down. But I see the problem with that is if you start cutting off the water flow, it's going to put increased pressure it's, on whatever you never
1: gonna work. build yeah. at the
0: end. But I also don't know for like really massive things if you could have, with old technology, been able to dam them effectively. Or was that mostly with like small rivers or things like that? Like, I don't really know the history of. I don't know. Things if, that were dammed. I
1: don't know when humans started actually damming things. I mean, we probably were diverting mm-hmm. rivers fairly early. But mostly we used water wheels and, and various things to steal power from the water or whatever, borrow right. it. But the Romans they were building aqueducts and moving vast amounts of water yeah. over land. Yeah. Two thousand years ago. So Yeah, I, I, I suspect it's it's gotta come down to either temporarily Um, blocking it with a makeshift dam right and and letting the water back up in a in a valley or something building your your work and then and then releasing it I don't know
0: I bet it would also be a matter of timing like you'd want to build it after the hottest periods of the year so there was the least amount of water or the lowest water level you know so because if you do it after the winter I imagine that's a recipe for disaster if all the snow is melted and it's the fastest and strongest it's ever been, if we're talking rivers or things like that
1: so now of course, my hunger is to go and do some reading
0: yeah, well, I mean if that's the hunger, that's where it goes we can We can pause the podcast here and insert uh this is <laughs> what we learn. <laughs> Do you want to do that reading now? Let's do it. All right. I'm pulling up the history okay. of dams.
1: You, I'm looking up the Hoover Dam. So,
0: my first finding is that the earliest dams were called gravity dams. Mm. And so, per our previous
1: just guess, soil in over. Oh, well,
0: in ancient Egypt, some places it was soil, yeah. but those are called um, the earth dam. But a gravity dam, the strategy is to just basically use things that are heavy enough. To resist being pushed away in some sort of Mm -hmm. water. So it's a mix of like bringing in rubble and doing things like masonry to just keep going until you're able to make something that's sort of strong enough. And that's like really old. That's ancient Egypt. That was in 2950 BC and it was called Sad El Kafara, which means the dam of the pagans.
1: Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have learned that for the Hoover Dam, which I was researching... Where is the Hoover Dam? It's in Colorado, and it's huge. They had to build some tunnels right through the rock. They had to divert the water into into two separate streams, I think, around the area that they were oh. to work. Then they diverted, and then when it dried up, they were able to build in there, and then they reintroduced the water. So
0: that's really extensive then.
1: I think that's probably the the best way to do it, but I don't...
0: Yeah, I just, I can't imagine in like ancient time periods how long that would have taken without a bulldozer basically. Right. Well <laughs> they didn't they
1: weren't trying to get hydroelectricity, so they didn't need to be able to build any useful infrastructure right. inside. So right. things like dropping rocks and wedging gravity logs dams. and all gravity yeah. dams are gonna be sufficient. I suppose the real reason I don't know why ancients would do it at all. What was the did they talk about a reason for um, creating those dams? Well, let's see. I could imagine that there was flooding and they were trying to mitigate. yeah, I suppose cause ancient but ancient Egypt had a lot of uh, lore around flooding as being part of a a, yeah. a cycle of the gods, right It's a also it looks like this cycle. dam
0: that was made in ancient Egypt kind of sucked. Because it didn't use masonry well, so it kept breaking. <laughs> but the Romans were the ones to do it the best, apparently. As you know, the Romans are want taurus to do.
1: engineers, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not totally sure why they are built, but it seems like there's got to be some really good reason. Because apparently, there have also been ancient dams found near like Mesopotamia and like the Middle East and stuff. Well, so it's a very long-lasting tradition.
1: Clearly, before you have children. This will, I have to figure this, will this be out. The work of your life yeah. Until then,
0: I can think about it as a fishing thing, as a means of being able to grow more plant life around the area. Well, maybe I'll look it up in next episode. We'll answer this. <laughs> For sure. This question about right. why dams were built. Well, I'm glad I was able to ask one. I was really worried I was going to come out the gate with a wimpy question that was like, had a really obvious answer, but i Not That everybody glad...
1: knows but you. That yeah, that's a... just a
0: little embarrassing. It would
1: be embarrassing for me since, yeah. a, you know, you after all the You clearly didn't educate did... me well that's enough. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, this one, I feel like I might be able to intuit pieces of it, but I don't know the specifics.
1: So what's the question that has been nagging you?
0: A question that was nagging me is, I've realized a gap in my knowledge is definitely space. I don't know a lot about space, and I don't really know why space is a vacuum. Like when people call space a vacuum, like, what do they mean?
1: Well, do you know what a vacuum is?:
0: I know that it's like an absence of air.
1: It's an absence of matter, but an in, absence oh, of I mean, matter. Okay, generally speaking, it, that but there is air. matter
0: in space.
1: Very little.
0: Okay. So it's not a true vacuum then.
1: Right. So uh, at the beginning of time, hey, oh. we got to go there anyway. <laughs> nice. So we have the, you have the Big Bang. And before yeah. that, so everything is condensed. Yeah. Before that, you basically you would have, I I would suppose, infinite vacuum. Although maybe it's debatable. Maybe there is ab- literally nothing.
0: If there is nothing, can there be infinity? Yes, That's yes. a good question.
1: It's not a question for me because <laughs> I'm not sure we quite have we'll that solved. yet. this to Grandpa. Yes. <laughs> So the matter uh, is expanding to fill that space, but because uh, very early on in the universe, there's not going to be any vacuum within the bounds of of the matter that's expanding because it's so right, dense. Right, but
0: uh, but past.
1: But it. as it is expanding and spreading out, we have uh, pockets of matter, and in between there is just still the nothingness. Although we're learning now more and more that there is there's there's more there. But there was a question just on Quirks and quarks last week, and and. Uh, and a woman who knows far more than I do was yeah. speaking and it, it gets down to one particle per square meter like one... Is what would
0: define uh, the vacuum? D- well, this would what be
1: interstellar space and like oh, okay. you know it's not absolute vacuum but it's like if you could imagine one atom in a square meter right. <laughs> as opposed to the trillions that are inside of you. Right. Or even even in the air there would be that many. Yeah. Right? So so that's what that vacuum is. And because of that, because you know that pressure keeps things from moving, right? When you press in on them they, they, they get closer together yeah. and, and atoms don't move as much. So in a vacuum things have nothing pushing them to, together. and So, so is you, that
0: why you can't have sound traveling in space? Yeah,
1: there's nothing there's to There's nothing it. to bounce off there of. There is and... no medium to vibrate because right. sound is vibration. But what's your... What you, I'm, I'm just thinking yeah, about... so, it's really so if it's, process. Okay,
0: so I was thinking about sound and how it bounces off things. How does light work then? Light I is know, electromagnetic yeah, energy. Yeah, I know light is like it is, a, it's its own thing. It's,
1: I, <laughs> yeah, light's tricky uh, yeah. and I don't understand it as well as a physicist would need to because when I learned it, it was this weird particle wave duality, they called it, which was just yeah. a way of lying and telling us that the thing we wanted to hear we didn't know about yet but let's imagine so light is photons those are actually things that are moving through space they are not the vibration of another thing they are their own thing so so, you can throw a baseball through space you can put an astronaut through space and it moves there so and a photon is really just uh, and the
0: reason it keeps moving in space is especially because of the lack of Matter like there's nothing that is causing it to have friction or anything like that. Does that contribute?
1: Absolutely. The the friction you would think of is when when it
0: like air and
1: light when it's traveling through our atmosphere. It doesn't have a lot of trouble even with that. Even yeah. as dense it is, it is but you get that diffraction, and that's why yeah. over time light diffuses. sort of diminishes and diffuses. Yeah. So in in space, there's none of that, and so light can basically go forever, so, and it has been, but it's yeah. still only gotten because if we if we look through. Yeah, if
0: we look through <laughs> telescopes, we can find the light from where the Big Bang happened. Isn't that how we re- how we figured out? We can't
1: quite find that far. We can get almost almost there. that far.
0: Okay, yeah. So. Are photons, I never took physics this far, I don't know, but are photons their own particle?
1: So the photon itself, as I understand it, is like an emission of light. Yeah, but Uh, what is the
0: light emit? like, what is it?
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't answer.
0: I think we should have guests on different weeks where we get stuffed on something. For sure. We'll bring on uh, Brad. Yeah. (laughs) We'll bring on our physicist uncle to talk us through photons.
1: Yeah, he would be certainly good as a particle physicist, that's right, me yeah. right up his alley. Well, that makes sense. He's measuring them all the time.
0: Photons or particles?
1: Well, all kinds of particles. I say. Everything, like when, when you smash uh, an atom, which is one yeah, of the things he's that, that they physicist? do. a nuclear physicist. That's right, yeah. so they're always, they're always breaking things, just destructive bastards. And then measuring <laughs> the result. So often it's like you'll smash something against uh, another thing. And then you try and measure everything that comes off. And
0: you see if it makes a new thing or if it just breaks apart. Or... Uh, yeah,
1: well, cause, because when things break, often uh, in at that scale, they only last for like microseconds. Yeah, and yeah. so it, there's all kinds of way of trying to tell, okay, it turned into this thing and then to this thing, and then it just sort And that's of, how manufactured
0: and... elements are made, right? It's like when you have to, it won't occur naturally in nature. But if we put it under enough, like stressors of different kinds and catalysts we can force it into this state yeah, for a second. Yeah.
1: Um, right. So adding protons to or electrons to things it, like it takes energy so you yeah. you have to change the energy state you can ram them together to to basically force them in place. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Uh, it's hard to imagine that kind of stuff and on that scale but apparently it makes that's sense what to me like
0: a, in terms of like magnetics like how theoretically you had a heart fast enough force like you could like
1: don't even talk to me about magnets. Like <laughs> I, don't This, want is, to a, talk this about is specifically magnets. a question I've talked to Brad about before. Oh, okay. he, I mean, magnetism is not his area of expertise yeah. or anything, but it sounds like magic. Like, magnets are... Magnets are bullshit. <laughs> well, they work. I love them.
0: Yeah. But... You use them everywhere.
1: Magnetism doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: I find a lot of theoretical physics doesn't make sense. Like lots of like the forces of physics make sense to me. I guess maybe outside of magnetism because I don't know how that works really.
1: We were talking about the difference between what Anna does as a, as a teacher yeah, in high school and what Ian does as a researcher at the right. university. And he
0: teaches too at the university, right?
1: Very little now because he's the grad chair and so he's he only has one class a semester right. that he teaches and the rest of the time is being grad chair and doing research. But his research, he calls it playing in a lot of ways, right? right. It's like he is trying to play with ideas and interesting things and the tangible results of those often come many years down the line sometimes in notable examples not even in your lifetime yeah right and uh whereas Anna is dealing with kids and watching them change right in front of her Mm -hmm. throughout the year and getting people writing her letters about what a great teacher she is and and it's just the feedback cycle is very virtuous and and it encourages you to go forward Mm -hmm. whereas The only thing encouraging you in a field...
0: Theoretical, that you're discovering. as Ian's
1: bioinformatics, is your, maybe your local group of people that you sort of play with these ideas and you're coming up with things and he specifically mentioned imaginary numbers he's like the guy (laughs) (laughs) i think of the i think of the four nerds that maybe sat around in a room and and came up with that idea and they were like sure it was the coolest weirdest strangest problem that there ever was and whatever that mathiness of it all was so intriguing that that they codified a way to explain it i don't even know Full disclosure: What the hell you do with imaginary numbers, really?
0: I've used them, and I've had to use like the little i one, one time in sure. Calc, but that was like five years ago. At this point, I don't know anything.
1: Suffice to say, it's a whole category of numbers, so yeah. it must be important. We're, we'll
0: bring a, we'll bring Gus in. Could I'm this sure. podcast
1: happen without imaginary numbers? That's the question. That is huh. what I want to know.
0: Well, are imaginary numbers actually imaginary, or are they somewhere in our society, no. like you're functioning? Are they? No. Do we just what pretend is they're imagination? Imaginary? Do we imagine the difference between colors?
1: Are dragons real? Yes. Probably so. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. So the next one I was thinking about is in reference to, like, both ADHD and anxiety and depression. But, like, I know that, like, dopamine and serotonin are, like, feel-good chemicals. But what are the exact functions that they serve in the brain or body? Okay.
1: Again, not an expert. Dopamine, I'm going to leave because i
0: know I, I think I've I
1: think I've known more about it in the past. Like, I've right. looked up all these things before. Serotonin yeah. is a connectivity chemical in your brain. So it's used in the exchange of information in your brain. And right. so my understanding is that it's less of a feel-good thing and more of a quickness thing. Right. So for me, because I'm on SSRIs, which is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, those leave more serotonin in my system that my body naturally produces, which allows me basically to think better. To Yeah. Have a clearer head. Because if you run out of the necessary chemicals, it slows down your brain process. It literally makes it so you can't think.
0: Yeah. Because when I was I was doing some reading online about ADHD, and one of the things they find about people with ADHD, and one of the reasons it causes depression and anxiety, is because of an inability to regulate serotonin levels. So people with ADHD are very prone to addictive personalities because they find something that is causing interesting connections in their brain or making their brain happy, like a video game or a kind of food or whatever, which produces a lot of serotonin and so they're very very easily addicted and very easily bored because as soon as they are not getting sort of immediate stimulation, it can lead to like a depressive lag where it's like a, like and that's what I feel is I don't feel depressed for long periods of time. It'll be like a sudden drop after. The finishing of an activity or being done a movie, you exhaust
1: a resource and then you and then I'm just out work. of
0: it, like and it's it's like being a car out of gas though. It's like except for it happens really quickly, so it's like takes you by surprise. So that's as much as I knew about serotonin.
1: Well, and and there, your experience really I think informs probably very closely what is happening. Like you're, right, you're re- you're not making up that feeling or. Or weak because you are failing to access a, the resource. Just is literally yeah. not there.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh,
1: and you're right about the dopamine. Though that one is in traditional thinking, we call it. I think it's like the love drug or the connection. So drug is that or the one
0: that you get with like hugs and stuff, or is that serotonin?
1: Oxytocin is Oxytocin. the one you get from hugs.
0: So what? What do you but, get?
1: But you probably get a cocktail of things, and dopamine oh, yeah. is is the main one that we think of as as making you feel good and, and connected and in love. I remember being told as a kid that you would get dopamine when somebody combed your hair and that that was a way that those kinds of things, say when primates groom one another, yeah. which hair combing is uh, an example, that that is, that good feeling is one of the things that creates bonds between people, that would be one for your Aunt Greta.
0: Yeah, and you know in our, from our game, Ancestors, how the way that you can mate with somebody is if you groom them repeatedly... You groom them
1: three times and then you can mate. And then you're mates that's, for life. That's how it works.
0: <laughs> oh, it was. I was thinking about the biological reasons for all of those chemicals, right? So like serotonin feels very obvious to me that in order to at least progress, your race or continue to live or find more efficient ways of doing things that your brain rewards you for making connections between things. Like if you are doing something new that is stimulating, your brain's like, this is really exciting. We should keep doing these new things and keep pushing ourselves to learn all of these acquired
1: skills. In a complex brain, I imagine it's different in uh, simpler brains because really the feedback cycle for say bacteria is very simple right if you're able to reproduce that is a success and
0: but not all bacteria have brains
1: no they, none, yeah none, like none, yeah none of them do my, my point do slime is slime molds right although <laughs> <laughs> brains are tricky too right like how many how many neurons to make a yep. brain etc And can it be, as in the case of a slime mold, somehow magically uh, dispersed throughout your single cell. A slime mold
0: can clearly (laughs) learn without a brain, so clearly it's getting something from that.
1: Yeah, but does it have to be some kind of chemical reward structure? I think that that is um, good for rewarding where socialization plays an impact. So, you know, in creatures that have that kind of uh, a society... I doubt that bees have those kinds of hormones, for example, because the programming is just so much more simple.
0: But I think it's just different kinds and of chemicals, You wouldn't want, your, you wouldn't, maybe. Because, well, let's take the example of the slime mold, right? It learns not to go down a certain path because it experiences pain, right? Which definitely submits different things to its neurons, if not, its, so not its brain. And then presumably, it knows to look for certain kinds of foods, not just because it recognizes it, but because it understands sure, how it feels it, good it, to consume nutrients.
1: Is it looking for the absence of pain and the presence of food? If you can call those things... Well,
0: I think everything... I think that's the issue, though. I think everything is chemically initiated.
1: Right. But what your experience of it is, is the question, are you just saying a successful completion of this thing? Or are you like, oh, that feels good. I want to seek that just for the the benefit. No, I guess I wasn't
0: just talking about serotonin, right? Like I was talking about other chemicals. But I guess that's true. Like, do you find the, do you find the the making of the fire, the part that gives your brain happiness, or is it the warmth you feel once the fire is already created?
1: The anticipation of the warmth that you're going to feel, yeah.
0: The imagination of what the warmth might feel like if you have a fire.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's complicated.
0: Well, I'm sure, like we discussed earlier, that it's a mixture of everything. Right, that your brain releases a different cocktail of chemicals, and some of them are, this thing is really new and exciting, I don't know what it is, like curiosity and things like that. And then some of it is programmed things in our brain, where it's like, we've learned that when we do this, we get good food, or we get a warm fire,
1: or so on and so forth. Curious what animals have dopamine.
0: What's your guess before you look it up?
1: Well, I'm going to say all mammals.
0: Yeah, that would make sense.
1: I'm gonna say maybe nothing else. just Nothing else, okay. Let's see what we hear. All mammals, including dogs, blah, 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 blah. Okay, as well as fungi and plants.
0: (laughs) Ha ha.
1: Well, this is serotonin, sorry. Oh, okay. How did we get to serotonin?
0: I don't know if you were reading this, but the study between the difference between a chimpanzee and a human's brain ability to process dopamine, and the theory around that is like it was clear that the human brain was doing more with dopamine especially sort of in the like development part of our brains but the idea that researchers have is that that is so all of my theories about development seems to be slightly more specialized for humans and it's potentially why we have pushed our evolutionary track so far is that our dopamine is unique in the fact that it rewards more and like
1: it things plays, like achievement it plays a, it plays a role in it's like, other animals but it doesn't
0: yeah well it, it does the same thing but it seems it seems like a catalyst right for like people wanting to achieve things and wanting to like like discovering things and making progress and things like that and you get so rewarded so if you
1: have a low amount of that you might feel s- a little good but you're not gonna be like you don't feel to
0: necessary to do your body doesn't feel necessary to do, do certain things right so And that has actually caused some disabilities and differences in our society as well. Things like autism are associated with different levels of dopamine. I couldn't find if those were higher levels or lower levels of dopamine, potentially some of both in people who are on different sides of the spectrum. But it seems to be a clear thing that creates different behavior in different people, which makes sense because certain people with other unique mental illnesses or something like that may experience... A lack of dopamine. Maybe that is is dopamine one of the ones you're missing in depression?
1: I don't know the answer to that but I would imagine so because it's if, if, it, if it induces pleasure or feelings of pleasure in people when you have a condition which is earmarked by the inability to feel pleasure I assume that that's gonna be the case. I wonder
0: if your body can go through a withdrawal from those chemicals
1: like become if you can be addicted to them
0: well not even addicted but just like that is a normalized part of your ecosystem of your body and if you suddenly experience a lack of that like if you have a loved one that's passed away or you're going through a really hard time or whatever because people go through depression in those periods i'm wondering if part of that is the stark contrast between a regular dopamine level and a now significantly lower dopamine level.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing is, the more specific a question we ask like that, the more we require we need answers from an expert or you you start getting into the area where research is being done. It's hard to know yeah. where that is necessarily. Like,
0: Well, I think this is part of the issue is that, well, we were discussing this earlier, but when I was a kid, I think Daddy Talk Show was so effective because I couldn't make inferences the same way because I had much lower knowledge base. I could still make in- inferences and leaps of intuition and still ask lots of questions, but there would be a place where that would stop because my other knowledge was at such a place where I couldn't keep leaping forward. You're,
1: you're, it's like uh, trying to come up with a brand new original thought, right? Yeah. What, right? It's like that doesn't. You just don't think hard and come up with an original thought. You have to have some kind of experience to draw on to to lead you to the next. thing.
0: I remember when I was starting to write as a kid, like really desperately wanting to have an original thought, and then I remember reading online like no thoughts or original, <laughs> all stories, <laughs> all stories are replaying of old ideas, and I was like, ah oh, shit. <laughs>
1: Well, and if you say it like that, it sounds really bad, but that's the truth of it. And that's that's the one thing I wanted to say. And you may choose to bump some of these ideas around in in where we talk about them, or maybe just leave them where they lay. But I think, for me, one of the best things about Daddy Talk Show was that as kids, you weren't ever ashamed or embarrassed about a question that you didn't know the answer to. And I tried to really reward that by, I mean, I tried to give you as much information as I can or as I could, but, and and there's a point at which you start running out of the what you know in an area, yeah. and it was very important to me to communicate to you whether or not you were able to understand this that there were limits to my knowledge and that there were things that I didn't know and that was okay. And even trying to talk about those things in a live setting where we're like musing foolishly, to me that just mimics the childhood experience, right? It's like if kids are embarrassed and afraid to ask questions because they will look stupid, then they won't learn. Why should it be different for adults?
0: I totally right, agree. Right, it's like
1: because then you have to stop learning because you have to you have to settle down and be comfortable in what you know and not and and not bother asking questions, certainly not publicly. And, and I think
0: I think the internet has broken that in some ways, where like let's say we posted this and we hadn't had this discussion and people are like, oh, look at them saying these stupid things about dopamine, like. That's why I'm
1: mentioning it because yeah. I I want it to be okay that we don't know the answer and if we're yeah. curious enough, we try and find it out. And And ask
0: people who know more than we do.
1: Right. And then uh, because there's gonna be a hundred topics that after we've done this, we know a little more than when we started.
0: Which is really important to me and I actually do think you taught that to me because while I remember when I was younger, I had a big list of words in a notebook, I don't know if you remember this, where whenever I would learn a new word, I would write it down.
1: That sounds vaguely familiar.
0: And because, you know, ADHD, I had like five notebooks that I did this in.
1: (laughs) And sometimes they had
0: repetitions of words or words that I had known and then forgot or whatever. But I was never afraid to ask, because you guys were never afraid to use like quote unquote adult language and like big words in front of us. And I was never afraid to ask what those words meant. And I remember a specific class in grade 12, it was grade 12 biology. And our class was trying to learn one of the cycles of, I think, how plants absorb oxygen and stuff. And I,
1: So part of photosynthesis? Or I, it,
0: not a part of photosynthesis. Because it was about them like, yeah, yeah. A, part, a part of that. I forget what it's called. And I remember my teacher saying to me during class, because I kept raising my hand and raising, my, and nobody else was in my class. And I remember my teacher thanking me for asking all the questions everyone else was too afraid to ask, but clearly needed answers to because the whole class after I would ask a question would ask more questions. But people were all afraid of looking stupid relative to everybody else in the room.
1: Okay, but yes, I think that's a huge problem. But also it it just suddenly strikes me that sometimes when I would sit in a class in university and there was yeah. a kid smarter than me or that knew more in that particular area they would start talking about a thing I would just be I'd be dead silent and like I wanted to open my mouth I wanted to contribute but I had nothing to contribute I couldn't come up with original thought I didn't have the Knowledge grounding base. to understand where to come at it from yeah. and so you asking those questions and and helping build that conversation would help unlock your classmate's ability to engage.
0: I th- I I would definitely say that from a benefit of the doubt standpoint. But <laughs> <laughs> I think at the time, at least, I thought before I started asking all these questions that I was the only person who wasn't getting it.
1: Right. You oh, know? you literally felt stupid.
0: I literally felt like everybody else understands this and I'm the only one who has to ask a question about it because nobody else was asking questions for a while in these classes and I I didn't understand why unless they were in complete control of the subject matter like why wouldn't you ask questions right and so I started asking questions and when I went back to visit this teacher two years ago he commented that we were one of his favorite classes because of how many questions we ended up asking by the end because of just how Freeing, I think it was to all admit that there were things that we didn't understand and not to be, you know, full of myself. But I do think that I started that in that class. And I think that it's because I don't equate asking questions with being stupid or ignorance with being stupid. Right. I think ignorance is an opportunity to grow, right? And if you know you're ignorant, that's even better because then you know you have an opportunity to grow. I think it's way worse to not know you're ignorant.
1: Oh,
0: by far. (laughs) I'm sure we know. Oh, shoot. I had a question, but now
1: it's gone, I think. It just like me earlier. It'll come to you.
0: Ah, uh, probably not.
1: That's fine, though.
0: Did it ever really exist if I can't remember it?
1: Well, we'll never know. Your mind is a black box of which we know nothing. Yeah. Except what comes out and goes in.
0: I think we don't know all the time what comes out either, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. When we were talking about what to talk about in this podcast, you mentioned that we used to ask lots of behavior questions? Like social...
1: You in particular. Leor, like what kinds of questions? Of. You were very curious about cause and effect and, right. and what would happen next was sort of the the idea. Right. So we played these games where we set up fake social situations with your dolls or your well, toys. I, oh I right? remember and, those still. And we would play through scenarios and you S- seldom got tired of playing through the scenarios and I would always try and change. We would basically, we were doing a little drama game where one of Improb. us, would, I would, you would play one or two characters and I would play the rest of the characters. And I remember,
0: so I remember, I remember Lion, Hippo, and Giraffe, which were my big Lego pieces.
1: Yeah, from your Duplo rem- set.
0: And so there were, there were moms and there were babies. I don't know if the old lion was a dad, I think he might have been, yes, but the but other the two were moms. Dad, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember that, so Baby Hippo was always the one getting picked on, and Lion was always the jerk. And then Baby Giraffe was frequently the one to go and tell the mom something was happening. And then the moms would converse and come and and punish or lecture Baby Lion.
1: And it gave us an opportunity to say, okay, here's something that went wrong. Let's see, can we, we're going to assign blame about what happened and decide why. And then we're going to watch three people, the lion, the giraffe, and the hippo parents, come up with with solutions where they all feel differently about things. So they would argue about it, and they would disagree, and they would undermine each other, right? And, or, or someone would say that they were overreacting, and then and Gaslight
0: w- people who practice gaslighting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it would give you, it would give you, it, you just absorb that and were able to integrate that into your social understanding, right? It's like, okay, there are people that have all these... <clears throat> otherwise, you have to wait until you run into that in the real world and try and, and make then you sense of it, right? And you,
0: I think I just had a realization about this, that I've carried that into my D&D playing in terms of, like, my DMing and building situations and worlds. And my favorite thing as a DM is cause and effect. And maybe this was your guys' parenting about natural consequences. But... I love to think about the repercussions of the player's actions, not just in that moment, but in the future. So, for example, they found effectively a bio-weapon that was made out of some sort of dust. And they knew it made people really sick. And they found this sorceress who teleported away. And they decided to lace her teleportation circle with this bio-dust.
1: That's harsh.
0: Well, she was she they knew she was evil. they were like, "We want her to die. still harsh, you know, we're not condoning it, chemical this warfare. Is, this
1: is a game, you guys. It's, this is it's... a game.
0: no no sorceresses were harmed in the making of this theoretical scenario.
1: okay, but are you just a little bit evil for no okay, no,
0: nope. well, they are definitely a uh, a chaotic good party in the sense that they try to do well and frequently do bad. um. <laughs> but so basically what happened is they did that but then they went and reported the building to some local people and were like you should go investigate this but didn't tell them the bioweapon was there
1: oh no and
0: they didn't even think about it they don't even know anything has happened but there are definitely people who went to investigate this that have now died from their actions, and if it they go back to the disease city, it create diseases
1: that will then spread. Hey, it's just no. like a chemical that will eventually—it's—it's
0: uh, <laughs> one that was made up by by Matt Mercer for for Aeor, so for like the ancient city ruins, and it when you inhale it, if you don't get a cure. Um, you eventually turn to ice and then shatter so it like starts by you um, like going really slowly and things like that and getting sick and eventually progresses to you turning into ice and being incurable after that but i was just i was thinking about that in terms of cuz as a player i know i think through those things but i clearly my players do not and i don't know if it's them taking it a lot like a game and not taking it seriously or if it is an actual lack of thought about consequences and the results of actions
1: that's really interesting um you know i ran into those same sorts of situations in gaming over the years and i've been on both sides of that equation as as someone who I, i feel like emotionally matured quite late yeah, uh, I'm actually more aware of that transition, I think, than some people, because when it happens right. younger, it just seems kind of a natural yeah. thing. And
0: Do you think having kids is what caused you to think about that more?
1: No, I was starting to... Like, I started to think about those things in university. Embarrassing as it is, it wasn't until late high school, like in grade 11 or 12, probably toward grade 12, where I recognized that other people had important thoughts.
0: Right, like you were the main character. I was the
1: main character and (laughs) everybody else was just supporting cast and I it's very strange to hear myself say that but it's true.
0: I think I had the opposite development because I remember as a kid you guys having to teach me to stand up for myself not because people were bullying me a lot but because I was always willing to give way for other people's wants or needs. Like, I think as a kid, if I were to describe how I felt, maybe, I would have felt like the supporting character. And still through a lot of my life, I've, I guess more recently, as I've gained more self-confidence, thought of myself as, like, the quirky love interest, who everybody's like, oh, that person's (laughs) so fun, but we don't know about them because they're mysterious. Right. Uh, (laughs) But I don't think I ever thought of myself as the main character. In pretty much anything
1: that's interesting because I mean and don't get me wrong being the main character doesn't mean that you always feel in control no of course I felt not. I felt small and weak and unloved and excluded and all those things yeah but I never thought very much about what other people were thinking it was only and that I only was thought all what I was and thinking. that's
0: all that I used to think about until you guys were like but how does that make you feel and I'm like well I don't want to give up my Oh Henry bar for Leora <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to trade all my candy for one Henry bar from Leora. But Leora really wants it. Yeah, but how do you feel?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were a child who would literally give the shirt off of her back to yeah. someone else uh, without a second thought. And, and there are good things was,
0: about that. It was,
1: a, it was a delightful and loving yeah. phase, and I, I miss that child. But at the same time that's a broken piece of a human and someone who's going to be taken advantage yep. of and, and It's somebody who's them. going to be
0: lovely, but somebody who's not, maybe not going to make themselves happy.
1: That puts you in the in the classic feminine position of waiting for someone to come along who will uh, complete you, right? Who, who will, will take who will care of your happiness, to make you happy. You know?
0: That's really interesting about like you being the main character until you grew up and me being the side character. And I feel like just now in my life, I'm starting to get to a place where I feel more. like Obviously, I still know and care about everybody around me, but maybe I can have my own book, you know? Like I have my own spinoff book where spin-off I'm the main book. character.
1: I think in this case, the spinoff will definitely be a bigger hit than the original.
0: That's okay. I can handle that. Like Thor Ragnarok being better than the first <laughs> first couple. Yeah. And it's because Taika Waititi is the zany director. I'm the zany love interest that goes and has their own book.
1: And everybody likes better. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And everybody thinks is gay and the and the writers are like, no, they're definitely not gay, but they totally are. <laughs> that's what happens with bisexual people all the time.
1: <laughs> You're your own cover.
0: Well that's yeah, it's everyone's like, Oh, look at them. They're dating somebody who is Maybe their straight preference, and it's like, yeah, but they, you know, they could also. That's why I felt an aggressive need to go to Pride in grade 12, because I was dating Amar, and so I was straight passing. And so I was like, I have to go to Pride. I have, Everybody has to know I'm gay. <laughs> I'm the main character, guys. <laughs>
1: Funny, yeah. uh, I I mean, having kids certainly changed my experience, but I wanted to have kids. I think partially because I needed to find a way to create maybe more main characters or something. Like it was, there was something about
0: you you had finished your trilogy, your first trilogy, and it was time to start the spinoffs. I don't know
1: why I wanted kids. I, I mean, I was a little damaged by my own childhood, and and I wanted to something better prove that I could do that in a way that i don't know i'm pretty sure i wanted to heal myself by doing it but experiencing you guys growing up was definitely helped me see through the stages of social development in a way that i totally missed when i was a kid like what well just just the whole kids are so guileless in a lot of ways and when they when they do have guile it's generally transparent so it's like all the things that I didn't quite understand about how my friends would manipulate a situation or how they might want to exclude somebody and or how they might feel or in those how situations. they might feel I had the insights back on like I got to I got to map my childish impulses and feelings and questions that I had about those situations and, and watch you guys deal with it and then because we were close I, I feel like I got lots of insight from that.
0: That's super interesting. I never thought about that. I guess when you're a kid, you think parents know a lot more than they know. Because you know so much less than they know. That's
1: right. Any any technology sufficiently advanced uh, seems like magic, right?
0: Yeah. I know that parents always talk about learning things from their kids, but I thought more in that context of like learning from the experience of being a parent or how hard it is not like literally learning from your children well, I
1: think it's I think it's all of those things well, yeah, if I'm you're sure if you're open to well. the concept right yeah. and 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 not everybody is broken as I was emotionally <laughs> right well as
0: we've discussed previously i think every parent breaks their child in some way even if it's in unintentionally and that can be through accidentally passing on intergenerational trauma about alcohol <clears throat> or that can be other learned behaviors that are accidents like your and mom's desire to mom's desire to avoid conflict because of her history has impressed upon me even though conflict was never bad in our house like violent in any way that conflict is something to be feared and avoided because anytime it would happen
1: it's like this big scary thing. The, the tension was very high. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it
0: feels like really high stakes because she would get so upset when there's conflict because of her past that I'd be like, oh, I need to be really upset too. This is really bad. And those are things that you guys were deliberately trying not to teach us. You're trying to teach us that conflict is good and that it's good to have these conversations. We
1: specifically tried to model good
0: all kinds conflict. Of, yeah. I think in lots of ways you did, but I think obviously parents also teach. Subconscious we're also living, behaviors. We're exactly. Also living
1: through that stress at the moment. So and it's you can't and perfectly. you
0: can't control everything your kids learn, right? Like I'm sure that there's so many things that I learned passively that you guys didn't intend to teach, but are things that I learned anyway.
1: All right. Are we going to do more questions or are we wrapping? I for might. Today? I
0: have one more, but it's kind of a. I feel like it might be a a slow ball.
1: Is well, that a slow
0: ball or low ball? So I have a question, and I have intuition about it, but I don't know if it's right. So the right. question is. Why you're
1: a woman, your intuition is never wrong, and I fully support yeah. you.
0: You're a man, so your intuition's automatically wrong, as we know because we are powerful women and we're always right.
1: Alright, let's go on. Now that we've now that we've cleared the air, let's
0: <laughs> Um Why are different tree seeds shaped differently?
1: Evolution? Well, like, I, I... <laughs> I
0: know. Thank you very much. God created them all in seven days.
1: Well, okay. So the evolution is actually the answer no and i'm but, aware of that but, i
0: want more specific
1: but specifically i don't know why specific seeds are the shapes yeah. that they are but in general we have different ones because like human beings trying different ways of dating the hot girl in their class
0: that's different, misogynistic different
1: well i didn't <laughs> No, i think you could be the person trying to date the hot girl I was kidding <laughs> anyway.
0: And, Dad, I'm not trying to date the hot girl. I am the hot
1: girl. girl. Okay. I think what we're looking at here is a case of many different ways to skin a cat, so to speak, right? So, you have various things existing in an ecosystem, and they are trying different strategies. To successfully reproduce. Yes.
0: So right? I guess I so, know this stuff. So okay, clearly I've so asked the wrong question. Because yeah, I know re- that let's some. let refine. Yeah. I know that some seeds are they want to be eaten and pooped out so that they'll be planted. And some want
1: to just go and some just in the want. Air. So
0: why is a pine cone? shaped the way it is. Because things don't eat pine cones, do they?
1: I'm sure somebody eats a pine somebody cone. Somebody
0: probably eats a pine cone.
1: So pine cones are closed, in yeah. particular, and they...
0: Or the really big bushy ones that have the... open
1: yeah. up, and the seeds are actually inside there.
0: Oh, so they're Shh. not the... it's not the petals of the pine cone. It's... there's something inside.
1: So, okay, so the petals are the needles on the pine tree. Yes. The pine cone okay. is um, like a seed pod.
0: Like a, with a walnut, like the shell. And,
1: and pollen from other parts of the tree will go in there. So
0: trees are self pollinated?
1: Uh, well, I don't know if it's Some from different trees. trees. It, like, I don't know if, if this would be from the same tree or from different trees. You may have hmm. male and female trees. I don't know. But certainly you have male and female organs, whether it's on the same tree yeah. or on the different trees. And so the pollen's going to go in there, and that's going to pollinate the seed and or multiple seeds. Then when those fall, you right. get magic
0: well I get that it's like shaped to protect the seeds but is it like is it, does it get lodged in the ground because of it's shape like I don't know I just I guess I know that evolution is the thing but I think the thing that I'm curious about is like why not make it like a walnut you know like why because I know different paths of evolution lead to different things and develop different traits but it's clear that some of them Just work really well. So why aren't those like the only trees in that area? Because theoretically like if you're the best tree at surviving, well, you're going to weed out the other trees.
1: Because things are complex. In some cases that is definitely going to happen. Right. But in other cases it's like okay so we have variability in...
0: Things that are the best for different things.
1: Weather patterns, and so one right. year you have it's drier, and you have a forest fire, and pine cones do really well in that scenario. And yeah. In fact, some of them actually, uh, you know, want that it causes heat them, to to cause open. them to open up, right? Yeah. Whereas some of them maybe do really well in in wet seasons, and or in the case of some of our forest structures, some things do really well for a while, and then they shade little things underneath of them and kill them, and then there's that thrive space and underneath shade and come, something else, right? Yeah. It's like you have you have those long-term cycles and wind up with a whole bunch of different strategies and they tend to find niches right so somebody will succeed really well in one scenario and someone in another and and they all kind of it i think over this long 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 period it starts to look like they're all working together like we see this what what looks suspiciously like cooperation from things that are clearly not thinking about anything yeah like different
0: animals that are like oh the ecosystem is cooperating well no they're still trying to murder each other but yeah
1: but even with plants now we're starting to talk about it in the language of plants giving one another nutrients under the soil uh, back and forth and it's like they don't give a crap whether the pine tree survives or whatever it's like just whatever is working evolutionarily there is benefiting everybody and so it becomes self-supporting
0: I just, I know that other things like that don't necessarily have ambition, but like if theoretically the goal of evolution is to like keep reproducing and to produce more and more and more, why do things settle into their niches?
1: Because you get boom bust kind of Cycles? situations right that's right. why humans are are a current exception but you want yeah well you get, we're
0: leading towards you, our bust you
1: get some kind of blight that kills out all the deer and then the wolf population plummets which allows the deer to recover right like that's the basic structure of it
0: so like if anything gets too big for its britches basically it breaks the system which is like a natural check and balance yeah And which is, I guess, what is eventually going to happen to humanity.
1: I like to think of, I like when Leora did her big project on the wetlands when she was in in early high school, and you think about the wetland as being a way to smooth out weather events, right? It absorbs a whole bunch of water, it slowly releases it, it's a huge nest of biodiversity. The only time you wind up with big problems is when you have a... A disease. ...a catastrophic difference, like a new disease. Right. That maybe takes out an take entire species because it was way too successful.
0: Right.
1: T- things tend not to be that way because. But if then a des- it can't,
0: and maybe it can't be successful. It's a disease that only preys on bananas, and now that all the bananas are gone, it's done.
1: Right, and and surprise, there were two bananas left. You've drastically reduced the biodiversity of your d- banana population, but the disease wasn't able to survive. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly.
0: So I think next time. It's going to be your job to think of some questions for me, I guess, trying to hit on my areas of expertise that you think I might know more than you do, which I know we still have quite a knowledge gap because, you know, you've been on earth a lot longer than I have been by a lot, I think, like 50, (laughs) 60 years. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're close to on your deathbed, but I am too, so that's okay. But I don't know, like, I think you should, though.
1: I need to start collecting questions. Yeah, Instead which of, is what I was see, doing. Part of the problem is being a habitual answerer of questions. It's yeah. hard for me to collect them because yes, I want to...
0: As we've, as we've discussed, you know, it's important to grow and learn from experts. And not that I'm an expert in anything yet in my life, but I'm a relative expert in some areas compared to you. Mm. So.
1: Okay, I already have my first question. But what I'm not, is it? I'm not telling you No, yet. I
0: want to know right now.
1: No, you'll have to wait, dear listener. <laughs> for the next episode. Oh of shit. What Daddy, Daddy talks. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: man. It's going to go viral. Yeah.